everybody has to make a profit, even people who aren't in business. An employee, if it costs more to go to work than you earn when you get there, you will quit going to work, even if you want to keep going. You will quit going to work. So everybody makes a profit, or should. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor Deep Dive. Martin, do you know if your your attic has foam insulation or that blow in insulation? Blow in insulation. Man, I've got that in my so our house we've got two tiers like the garage only has one story there's only attic above right it, but it's right. connected to the house and then the house is two story and the walls that in our in our second story that touch the attic of the uh garage are on fire Just... <laughs> and uh they're not walls, insulated right interior walls well they, yeah. we have the blow-in insulation but it doesn't really it's not really doing yeah, much they, on the walls they, did, they didn't specifically. Uh, insulate the they didn't treat that as an outside wall. Right. And so, oh man, our AC has just been kicking this week and, uh, we're looking to get, you know, foam insulation put in and make it a, you know, a closed environment. Um, it's not cheap, not cheap. Nope. Uh, the, the crazy thing is it's the cleanup that also costs quite a bit, uh, getting all that blow insulation out so that you can then do the the foam insulation. Yeah. There's probably someone listening it. that does foam, yeah. foam insulation. Well, they'll, they'll come and suck it out, but no, yeah, yeah but that's what costs some money. Cause it's so hot up there. You got to take breaks. Uh, it's hard to get in the nooks and crannies with that vacuum. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a hot one as of recent. Well, for I, sure. I know the reason you're bringing this up. You said your <laughs> uh, AC is kicking it and my AC has kicked it. Uh, I'm sitting in my office. We're recording this. It's 83 degrees supposed to be 104 this afternoon and i've got one on the way but i don't know when it's coming so it's well, going to be a long day the problem with your ac kicking it at this time of year is that everyone's ac is probably doing something similar yeah. and so it, you know you're you're on the line you're you're in line to get one but that's a long line and right. you told me earlier this week that your ac unit is about as old as i am IAC, when were you born? 91. It's as old as you are. <laughs> and it was built in 91. And, I can't believe uh, that. The landlord, I mean, I was very fortunate. I was aware of a triple net lease and one of the clauses in there that I would have to replace the uh, air conditioner if it went out. And fortunately, I usually am not adept at these, but I caught this in the contract and I said, no, no, no. I'm not moving into 850 square feet and then buying a 32-year-old, replacing a 32-year-old, and they, they put that in the provision. So at least there's that, and yeah. I'm not uh, on the hook. But I also don't have air leases. conditioning. Yeah, really. Matter of fact, you need to have an attorney read your leases. Mine's about 12 pages long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, landlords my, are frequently better at, writing and dealing with leases because they do it all the time than the average uh, contractor who's renting the building. And it yeah. is a good idea to have somebody read them and negotiate some of those things. Absolutely. My, and my landlord is an attorney. So 
I always get mine reviewed by my attorney because I know there's going to be something sneaky in there. Uh, yeah, a second attorney. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Did you? I don't know if you saw this this morning, but um, you know it was a great year for uh, the Moroccan national team for soccer. We had a great World Cup. The Women's World Cup is going on right now. I know all of our listeners are just glued to their televisions at four in the morning because it's in Australia, but. Uh, it was a really good morning because Morocco qualified or they advanced there you to the go. next round. It's their and first I'm, World Cup I, I'm as a women's team. I'm totally listening because I'm trying to identify the segue here. No, there's not a segue <laughs> for this. We're, we'll, we'll get to that. No, but, no, the segue from air conditioning to Moroccan women's soccer, but you know I'm a supporter. Oh, I'm, I'm a fan are. of Morocco, but I've never been there. You got to go, man. You got to go. We've talked about I know. that. But yeah, uh, yeah it was... It was an early morning for me. I got up to watch. It started at five. And uh, I mean, I'm just full of adrenaline right now because the way that it worked, Morocco needed to win, but they also needed Germany, one of the top teams in the World Cup for the women, to uh, either tie or lose, which is a tall order. They beat Morocco 6-0. Oh. So um, they they were playing South Korea, who Morocco beat, and... What do you know? South Korea tied them one one, and so there we got go. to advance. But I was just like, you know, knuckling white knuckles, uh, holding onto the couch, just hoping that Germany wouldn't score. But it worked out. I used to work with a bunch of Germans who were big time soccer fans, and we went through uh, two World Cups. But they bet on games, and mm. the system for betting on games is a one zero result home team. <laughs> that's don't don't think about it one zero home team that's probably the most frequent set, that that'll that'll make you some money i guess i'm sure i'm sure you know uh because i was up so early i got to come over to your office and i think uh, hopefully our listeners will notice a difference uh in not only my microphone as of lately i need i need to soundproof some things in my office but Hopefully your microphone now as of this episode and your camera angle. You don't like it. Uh, it's a little above <laughs> you, but it's no, better it's than a little you. beneath me. It's a little beneath me. Oh, it's to worry about king. <laughs> yeah, that's a play on words to worry about camera angles. That's beneath me. Yeah. You sound that's, better to me already. So listeners, if you. Well, that's you, good. I never blame the way I sound on the microphone, but yeah. If 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 you're listening and you like Martin's voice, if it's improved from episode to episode, uh, <laughs> maybe like, share, subscribe, and ask for sponsors to sponsor us so we can afford these. Or things, send right? send me ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, I know we're going to be talking about profit today. I wanted to right. share a little bit about something that's going on before we jump into that. Um, I was. You know, we, our last episode really got me thinking about hiring a lot uh, with Jonathan Porter Wistman, uh, I think was his name, yeah, uh, right. whohire.com. Go check them out. Um, but just thinking about hiring, and he talked about his job ads and all that stuff, it just made me think about how I'm writing my job ads and really even just how I'm approaching my positions. And something I did this week is I did a story brand brand script for a position um, where they were going to be the guide. Uh, if you if you don't know StoryBrand, Brandscript, StoryBrand's a great book by Donald Miller. And uh, he's got this framework that you can do a brand script 
that allows you to not be the hero, but the guide in your customer's journey, uh, just like a movie. They're the hero and they're Luke Skywalker and they're having trouble defeating the uh, Darth Vader in, in their life. And uh, Yoda comes along, gives them a plan and calls them to action so that they can achieve success and avoid failure. Anyways, it's a way of just messaging for your company. And I, I did that for a position. I actually really liked it. Uh, I wanted to, to recommend that to listeners, uh, but even for your clients, Morton, as you think about a position, place yourself in that hero's shoes and this uh, person you're going to hire as the guide for you, um, someone who's going to step in with a plan and, and call you to action and your company to action and you know achieve success and avoid that failure. I think it's a really um, profitable exercise. Uh, yes, and, and I have a, um, an article called Hiring in a Post-COVID World on my website, and it's exactly that. It's two actual job postings. Hmm. One is bad, very bad, yeah. and the other one is good, very good, and it takes you four minutes to read it. But that's um, like with Donald Miller it, and with selling and with everything else. It's all about them, not about you. What do they want? How do you make it look attractive? How do you write an ad that um, shows that you understand who they are and what they want? And the, it has a tremendous, uh, makes a tremendous impact, especially when you're trying to hire, say, tradesmen, uh, journeymen, electricians or apprentices. There are 500 of them out there that say exactly the same thing, yeah. you know, set, you know, thirty-five to seventy-five dollars an hour, depending on experience. Must have, must have, must have. Will be expected to. Will be expected to. Will be expected to. Drug tests required. Apply here. Or there's a narrative that shows that you empathize and understand what they want, and you have to stand out. Yeah, so, absolutely. And then I heard the word profit in there. That was going to be the segue, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you know, you think about uh, there's someone driving around right now listening that is really needing to hire someone. Uh, maybe it's even a position that they don't feel like is going to contribute to the bottom line, like maybe an assistant or something like that. Um, but they really do need to be hiring and they can't because they're not making enough profit. <laughs> so there you go. Maybe, maybe there's our segue, but let's talk about profit. You've wanted to talk about this. You're writing an article about it. I've got some points to make. You've taught me a lot about profit. Um, I think you want to go a specific direction with this based on your article, but I think it'll be a, just a good conversation. And I always share one thing that you've stuck with. It's stuck with me since definitely the first six months that we started working together, you shared with me the objective purpose of business rather than the subjective purposes of business that people right. have. And I think that's a great way to start um, and, and frame the conversation. But what is the objective purpose of business and why does it matter? Well, let me make a distinction. There's subjective and objective. And of course, subjective is our feelings and ephemeral. And you can have a subjective belief and I can. And who's to say one's right and one's wrong. So there are as many subjective reasons to be in business as there are business owners. It might be because you want to be your own boss. It might be because you lost a job and can't get one. It might be because you want to prove your high school sweetheart was wrong to dump you. Uh, it, it, do, it might be because you want to make money and help. It doesn't matter. It can be anything, and they're, they're all legitimate. But the point I like to make to people is there's only one objective, 
purpose to being in business. And it's true for every business. And it's to convert cash into more cash. Um, I usually do this with a little diagram, but I, just to talk about it, people can easily understand it. The cycle of business is that it takes cash to begin a business. We all know that. And there are two ways to get it. You can borrow the money or you can invest, you or somebody else can invest the money in exchange for ownership. But you take that cash and use it to buy assets. Assets, of course, are things that you own. Uh, they're computers, your desk, your office furniture, your truck, your equipment, your tools, um, maybe the shop. Technically, some of those aren't assets, but they are things that you buy with cash in order to do what you do. And you use the assets to generate sales, which, as we've talked at, at length before, the sales hopefully carry margins. The margins are enough to pay your overhead, and what's left over is profit. And you say, woohoo, I made a profit. Well, you're not finished if you don't convert the, ca the profit into more cash. And obviously that means somebody who doesn't pay you or things that are tied up in uh, uh, accounts receivable or maybe, but for whatever reason, you made a profit, but you, but you didn't convert it to cash. And once you do convert it to ca cash, the cycle is some of the cash goes back to replenish the assets so you can keep the cycle going. Some of the cash goes back to either pay off debt or to pay a return to the owners. That's the cycle of business. And usually when I'm talking about the cycle of business, the reason I'm talking about it is that many people pay attention. They think the purpose of business is sales. They, they may, if you challenge them on that, say, oh, no, of course, I need to make a profit. But if you ask somebody about their business, how big is it, how, how much did you grow, they're going to tell you sales. And that's fine as long as it carried margins and it went down to profit. The second thing they might mention, if they're uh, particularly uh, candid, is the profit they made. So the first thing I ask about a business, hey, my sales doubled last year. Well, how about your profit? The answer I get most is I don't know. And, of course, that's why we're always talking about books. But if they do know, they'll mention that they got a profit. They say, well, that's well and good, but what's your cash position? And the cash position is usually a secondary thought until it becomes a crisis. But it's where the real action is because you can make a profit, but you can't make payroll with a profit. You can't pay your bank loan down with a profit. You can't buy a new skid loader with profit. All of those things take cash. So that's what, we, you know, that's the cycle of business. And people need to always think, I mean, there are many instances where people could sell less and make more. Absolutely. But that doesn't usually occur to people. They think it's got to be sales. Um, you know, sales for many people is the most important part of business. You know, they're the salesmen are the rainmakers. They're the point of the, of the spear. I heard a lecture, a talk the other day. The guy said, well, everybody's going to admit that sales are the engine pulling the train. And I'm sorry. Sales are, I hate to be so cliche, but it's a, uh, it's a chain, right? Sales are one of the links. But sales do not lead the or the train. You got to have a product to sell, yeah. right? And you have to be able to manage your cash so that you can stay in business. And you have to have marketing so you can generate leads in order to get sales and you have to have leadership in your company so people know where you're going and your culture doesn't blow the whole company up as frequently happens. So sales are a real important part, but it, 
that what you're really after is cash into more cash. And by the way, just there are companies that are so good at it that they create more cash, they generate more cash in a period than they do profit. And you might say, how do you do that? And of course, it's things like depreciation and uh, amortization that allow you to do that. Hmm. But that's the point is profit is a step in the, uh, in the, in the cycle, but the, the end of that step is more cash. And I always put the word more than because of profit. If you've done it right, you're going to have more cash than you started with. Yeah, man. Uh, so many good truths there. And I think people, uh, that, that listen really appreciate that. And they, it, they're thinking in line with it. They're like, yes. Okay. That makes sense. I agree. I agree. But actions don't always translate, uh, from that knowledge. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the, the limiting beliefs that we even have as individuals, uh, and as business owners, uh, we'll get back to that in just a second with our new mic set up, Martin, I can tell <laughs> that your wife is a speech pathologist cause you have very good peas. Uh, ah, sorry, and, I'm blowing the, blowing yeah, the mic just back out, up huh? just a little bit because every time you say <laughs> profit and payroll and people, uh, we're getting and some pizza. peas. But anyways, no big deal. So let's talk about mindset. Um, obviously, to let go of the subjective and focus on the objective when it comes to profit is not always easy, um, especially when you can be so focused on sales because you see it as the the conductor engine that's really leading everything and pulling the, the weight of the business. Uh, you can have that shiny object syndrome with sales as well and look at the big numbers and think that it's all, all gravy from there. Um, but... There are a lot of limiting beliefs. I know one of them that you've talked about in the past is go to the ocean with a spoon or a bucket. It doesn't care. Um, What what do you see with most business owners? How do most people think about money uh, in terms of profit? Well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. And I'm not sure our audience would uh, be among those who disagree. But uh, there are still people, (laughs) two Ps there, people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the reason that's on my mind is a couple of weeks ago I had a conversation with somebody and they were saying things like well I want to make a profit but I don't want to make too much and I don't want to gouge people and and of course not Uh, we can talk about what gouging is if you don't use coercion theft or deception and somebody wants to buy what you've got and they're willing to pay for it you are not gouging anybody right but anyway it brought up that idea of profit um, short of cash, but we're just talking profit. And it brought to mind a, uh, uh, an incident I had, and it'd be in the 90s. But at the time, I was a contractor, and I was working at a professor's house. And his wife backed out of the garage while I was standing in the driveway, and she said, are you okay if I leave for a while? And I said, sure. And she said she had a Subaru. Actually, it was a Subaru. And the back was filled with wine bottles. And she said... Uh, I've got to run these to the recycling center. I said, fine, you know, we, we can get along. She came back in about a half an hour and the bottles were still in the back of her Subaru. She got out and she said, well, they don't recycle bottles anymore. And she did air quotes and she kind of had a cynical look on her face. And she said, there's no profit in it. And I resisted the temptation to tell her, what a great opportunity. You can go open your own recycling center, right? (laughs) So, um, 
I'm trust that most of the people that are listening to us uh, understand the importance of profit as this stage right before more cash. But there are a lot of people who think that profit is evil, um, that somebody's getting ripped off, that that profit is a manifestation of greed, and it's earned on the backs by ripping off consumers and, and employees. And I really... I want to not be contemptuous of that. I want to say, okay, how would, how would I deal with that? Uh, well, the first thing is that their concept of profit being a ripoff it is a manifestation of the fixed pie syndrome. And the fixed pie syndrome, I think most people have heard of and are aware of, but it's the idea that if somebody has a bigger slice, somebody has to have a smaller slice. So how is it possible that somebody could sell something at a profit and it could benefit both parties. And I have to admit that if you, if you think about it, not very deeply, but if you think about it, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. Uh, if I buy something from somebody and they make a profit on it, then that profit is what I paid too much for that product. They gain, I lose. But um, it, that makes it seem as, that, that's not true. What, my point is, is that profit is a way that both parties can benefit to a transaction. You say, well, how can that be? The seller makes a profit, the buyer does not. And I want to just use an example and say, let's take an example of a cobbler who makes shoes and somebody who buys shoes, you and all of us. If we thought how much little how much less we could do in a week if we had to make our own shoes, right? The cobbler's been doing it for a long time. He's pretty good at it. He has the tools. He knows where to buy leather. He buys so much leather that he actually buys it as a discount. He knows how to make shoes. And so he can make a, a pair of really nice dress shoes for $50. And he sells them to you for 100 Have you been ripped off? Not at all. And the reason you haven't is that for you to make those shoes, you would have had to learn to where to source leather, how to grade leather. You wouldn't have bought in big quantities. You have to buy the tools. You have to buy the shop. You'd, learn have to, you'd have to buy the patterns. You'd have to learn how to do it. It'd probably take your third, fourth attempt before you could even wear them. So you would have spent many more dollars than 100 in wasted time and resources trying to make your own shoes. So the cobbler, by making his $50 profit, has benefited you by avoiding maybe several five, six, seven hundred dollars worth of expenses, and most importantly, your time, which you could use to do to sell what you're good at. And that, if I've told that well enough to make to make sense, that saved time and energy and resources of a of the cobbler's skill, freeing you up to have shoes and to work elsewhere is entirely achieved by savings of waste, waste of materials and waste of time. And it is that savings of material and time that account for the benefit of profit to both parties. And in fact, it, it accounts for all the wealth that we see around us. Um, we, we use cobblers as a, uh, in shoes as something that we could maybe even in our wild imagination imagine that we could make our own shoes. But how about your iPhone, right? It's safe to say you will never, ever, ever build, save your, build your own iPhone or your computer. 
And you may say, well, I built a computer because I bought a chip and I bought the circuit board. Oh, where'd the chip come from? <laughs> and where did the transistors at, and the, the ideas and the, and the ability and the engineering behind the transistors that go on that chip come from? Anyway, it is all due to what Adam Smith in 1776 called specialization in, or division of labor and specialization. And that accounts for the great abundance that we see all around us. I made a point in my book in the very last chapter that there is nothing on the face of the earth that wasn't here and available to our caveman ancestors 10,000 or 100,000 years ago. There's nothing here. Actually, I'd, I uh, put a footnote in my book. There is something here that wasn't here 10,000 years ago. Uh, the earth attracts about 40,000 tons of space dust every year. So the earth grows. <laughs> By about 40,000 tons a year, minus what we blast off in our rockets, right? So there is a net gain. But, but the point is, there's nothing available to us that wasn't available to our caveman ancestors, but we live so much differently. I mean, it's, it's, it's so ridiculously differently that it's not even necessarily worth trying to point out the magnitude of the change. And it's yeah. all come from people getting better at that, what they do, and being able to sell something at a profit, and we'll talk about how they use that profit, which also benefited the buyer who paid the profit but saved his own time and energy and resources by buying it from you rather than trying to make it himself. Mm-hmm. And I, that is the temporal source of abundance. That's it. Yeah. That's where it comes from. I, I will throw out one last thing because I read Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations in 17... I didn't read it in 1776. You read it in 1776, wow. Yeah, yeah, man, it was a long time ago. I wrote (laughs) it then, but he gives three reasons that contractors, most certainly, and manufacturers will understand of where that benefit comes from. And he says it's uh, saving in setups times, right? So if I'm making a 1,000 pairs of shoes, I set up a row and a process and can crank them out. So setup times, dexterity of the workman, which means, in his language, in our language, means they get better and better at doing what, what they've done. So they're really, he's a skilled cobbler and I'm not. And the third one is innovation. Um, people who are at something begin to see opportunities of how to improve it. And in Adam Smith, he, I think he actually talks about a guy in the mills in, in England in the 18 or the 1700s, and there's a lever that cranks every time the guy pulls it, and he pulls it. And then pretty soon he's looking at it and he realizes if he takes a chain from this piece to that piece, the machine will pull the lever and he doesn't have to do anything, right? Mm. So that's a very, very simple. But I think our people will understand, our listeners will understand that the idea of saving on setup times, the skill of that, the dexterity of the workman, and innovation, which extends beyond machines to processes and technology, are the, are the sources of abundance. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned Adam Smith, uh, and I, I, I want to talk about how he sees greed, um, and self-interest, uh, and how that bakes into profit, right. And how it's, it's actually really important, um, that, you know, people, we think about the subjective purposes of business and, you know, maybe people are doing things out of, they're running their business out of the goodness of their heart and running a nonprofit, um, But he says, quote, it is not that from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard for their own interests. And what did you, did you Google that? That's exactly. I did. I did. You just had that quote sitting there. 
Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and I, I yeah, think... Yeah, and, and this... Well, and you're, I know you're going to talk about it, but I think ultimately <clears throat> we we should be looking out for our own interests. And if we're really looking out for our own interests, if we want our business to succeed, then we're going to really put more effort into our products. We're going to put more effort into our service and growing our business, investing in our businesses so that they can do more for customers so that we make more profit. But if we don't focus on that piece of profit, if we are just doing it out of the goodness of our hearts, at some point, we're probably going to burn out. We're probably not going to be able to make it. We're going to have so much stress and be so overwhelmed that we're actually not serving customers well because we can't operate at that level. Right. But it's only through that profit that we can actually do good. And we do good because we're rewarded for it. Right. So I'm, I'm, well, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, I gave a talk probably three months ago and about the purpose of business. And I said there are as many subjective reasons as, you, as there are people. And one of those reasons could be greed. And yeah. boy, they did, they did not like that. You know, they <laughs> really pounded on me. Well, what is greed? You know, I'm not greedy. You're not greedy. It's that guy who's greedy. You know, he wants this. We're and, all greedy. And, and look, there, there's a place. You have to define, you know, we have to have a philosophy show and, and right. define what greed is. But Greed is a motivation that's legitimate as long as it doesn't involve theft or coercion or lying right. or uh, uh, abusing, taking advantage of a customer, uh, which we talked about a little earlier before we started recording. You don't really take advantage of a customer if they're willing to purchase from you what you want to sell them. Now, right. if it's a little old lady and you're a contractor and you go get a down payment and never show up again, yeah, that's greedy, that's theft, and... That's not legitimate, but if you make an yeah, honest that's offer, fraud. And, yeah, that's fraud. <laughs> uh, so, but Adam Smith's point was, it's whatever you're doing it for. If you want to improve your processes and make more profit, what do you have to do? I mean, really, what do you have to do? You have to cut costs. I have never met, well, people who aren't in business don't understand this, but I have never met ever a businessman who wasn't concerned with reducing the cost of producing his product. Sometimes you get to keep that, but pretty soon your competitors reduce their costs and you're back to the old margin and you have to do it again. Every business owner I've ever met is trying to find ways to reduce cost. They're also trying to find ways to raise prices and increase their margins, but they're ultimately always trying to reduce cost. And if you ever if you ever reach a point where you're making extraordinary profits, uh, in economics they have a name for that, can't, whatever. I can't yeah. remember the name of it. But what, what happens? You attract competitors to that market. Um, your competitors see the abnormal profits and say, hey, I want in on that. And over a relatively short period of time, generally, the market is driven back to what they call normal profits, <laughs> which... You know, meaning that they go down. So it, when you try to make all you can, matter of fact, my father used to say it's your duty to make all that you can because that attracts, ultimately attracts competition. Mm -hmm. And uh, matter of fact, that was, uh, well, there are, there are laws that require, the reverse monopoly laws are that 
you not withhold prices in order to drive your competition out of business. And then once you've done that, raise your prices again. Now that's, that's the theory. And that's a little bit really hard to do, <laughs> you know, way back with the old trust barons, people, especially as a small business, I think as a right. man, We're not monopoly, that. you probably could. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think with profit and greed, I think we're all greedy. If we all have self-interest, I think if we define greed as just a self-interest, it's innate in all of us. We're going to take care of our families. We're going to try to succeed and leave a legacy and all sorts of things. Right. But I think what, what really struck, what I think what I see most people struggling with profit is, and not even if they don't struggle with the concept, yeah, I want to make a profit, but more so the, the action of implementing the practices to be able to be a more profitable business. It's not just the fixed pie. It's, it's not just, um, you know, the subjective purposes outweighing the, the objective purposes of business. I think for most people, there's really limiting beliefs in what they're capable of and what they deserve that hold them back from increasing prices, from seeking to get more profit and really being okay with serving their self-interests uh, innately. And I, I, that's what I see the most. I think for most people, there's a hesitation to increase prices because they worry about the risks associated with it. But there's also an aspect of like, their the limiting beliefs around their goals for money, right? Like if they have a goal of, hey, I wanna profit $200,000 this year. Well, if there was an opportunity to make a million dollars in profit that year for them, they wouldn't even be looking at it. They'd be almost blind to it because they're so focused on the 200,000 number. Yeah. And 1 million seems outlandish. It seems impossible, but also what would I even do with that money? Um, and I think whenever you start to see things a little bit differently and open your mind to, wait, I can run an extremely profitable business. I can be making hundreds of million dollars a year and you open yourself up to that mentally then you can start to picture it happening in your business. You can start to actually set your business up to operate in that way um, and, and set your pricing and your cut your expenses and all those different things that allow you to reach higher levels of profit. Um, but whenever we're not even thinking it's possible or even accepting as an option, then we limit ourselves. And another aspect of that is I think for a lot of business owners, they they price themselves based on costs and not based on value. And that's one thing that limits profit immediately. Because if you're just looking at, okay, well, it costs this much, I'll mark it up. Uh, you're not actually looking at what the market will bear. You're not looking at what value you're actually bringing to a customer that they'd be willing to pay for. And so you limit yourself in terms of profit right there. Uh, I have so a, an example in my book of that. I said, if you found a four carat perfect diamond ring in the street, couldn't find the owner, but you found it, would you sell it for pennies because the acquisition cost was low? <laughs> of course not. You might sell it for less than it's completely worth, but you're going to make a bundle off of that thing. Yeah. And I want to jump back to two things that you said, really, you use the word innately. Um, it, and it brings to mind something we talked about before we got on. Everybody has to make a profit, even people who aren't in business. And 
people who, uh, an employee, if it costs more to go to work than you earn when you get there, you, you will quit going to work. Even if you want to keep going, you will quit going to work. You have to cover your costs and plus more to, to support your lifestyle out, or your family and your home and your life. So everybody makes a profit or, or should. They, they can't survive. Well, they, they make the profit, and if they don't, they're living off the profit somebody else made, whether it comes from the government or charity or whatever else. So that's one thing. And I do want to touch uh, again on the fixed pie thing. Um, there's a book out, and I recommend wholeheartedly that people read it. It's called Super Abundance. Uh, it's an easy book to read, but it is Nobel Prize winning type material by a couple of PhDs. And I won't say go into deep into depth of how they measure this, but a fixed pie theory is that fixed size pie, somebody gets a bigger piece, somebody has to take a smaller one. Abundance is when as the population grows and there are more people, the pie gets bigger so everybody can continue to go and everybody still get the same slice pie. Superabundance is when the pie grows exponentially bigger than the population. And that's where we are. And that would be a whole podcast for me to talk about why that <laughs> is. But it's, uh, it's a data-driven book. Uh, it's a very important book. And when you start thinking about it, uh, when you read it, for example, there's more oil available to us today than there was uh, 25 years ago. Right, because of the... Well, you're like fossil really. fuels or not. There just is. And... And uh, one example they use is the uh, time cost of light, right? In the 1800s, it would take six hours to get one candle hour of light. Six hours of work to buy one candle to get one candle hour of light after dark. In other words, the common person could not afford any light after the sun went down. It is now, I, oh, I don't know, in the 1800s in the kerosene lamps, it was like, it was down to like two hours to, um, yeah. to pay to earn enough to pay for an hour of, of one lumen of light. Today, it is a millisecond. Yeah, it's light crazy. is more abundant and costs us less. Even though, I mean, it's those kinds of gains that come from the division of labor and specialization, where everybody gets better and better, that's made us the only species ever in the history of the world to become more prosperous as it becomes more abundant. And that's the innovation that's in our, our brains. And that's, I guess that's a little bit off the uh, topic <laughs> of profit. But, but another, I, one thing I do want to say is that profit is an incentive to go to work, right? We're going to assume that you convert your profit to cash. But it's an incentive to take the risk to go into business and buy machines and bid jobs and hire people. And so profit is an incentive, but it's much, much more than that. Um, profit is an absolute necessity. If you think about what your business would be like, if no profit means that you spend every penny that comes into your business on materials, labor, overhead, insurance, all those things, with nothing left over. It doesn't take much of a thought exercise to realize that you wouldn't last very long. You have to make a profit for survival. And I think a lot of the people who think profit is evil imagine people in 
big Mercedes driving around smoking cigars and kicking kids and, and telling their workers no and kicking people out of the company houses and all that. Well, it's not. It, it's not cash. Where, where profit has to go, why you have to make a profit, is one your growth depends on it. I think you touched on that a little earlier. If you want to mm-hmm. grow your business, uh, hire more people, want to build another building, want to buy more equipment, want to be able to carry more accounts receivables, growth requires profit. It requires additional capital, uh, unless you want to borrow it. And you say, well, I got my capital from borrowing. Well, how are you going to pay that capital back? Capital is paid off, or debt is retired with profit. Uh, Mistakes. If you're out there and you're building a swimming pool and you put it in the wrong place and you have to go dig it up, that's all on you. You have to have a profit to be able to support that. You have to have profit in order to uh, fund your accounts receivables, right? Um, the money that you make, if it hasn't been paid yet, where's the money come from to fund those receivables? Uh, you have to have it for inventory. Um, and I think I already talked about taxes. Did I talk about taxes or was that before we You recorded? did. You, I mean, obviously the government wants us to make a profit because yeah. that's how they make money. Well, they rail against it, it seems like it, but the governor is your, the governor, hopefully not the governor, (laughs) the government is your biggest partner generally. They're going to take 30, 40% of all the profits you make, and they're different than your other partners because they get their profit and they get it in cash and they get it this year. Government should be vigorously promoting uh, the advance and increased profitability because they're the number one benefiting shareholder. They're well, that's shareholder why they have the, SM, the, you know, the SBA, like we had the episode, where they're guaranteeing loans to small businesses and they're uh, you know, providing so many different resources. Like I know that whenever we, business that I started right out of college, whenever we decided to, uh, we were trying to set up a, a business in Vietnam, essentially, um, and the SBA was there and we met with them. They gave us advising and consulting to be able to enter the country. They helped us fill out forms and work with the Vietnamese government to get an office set up. Uh, they even helped us connect with real estate agents for the office space. Um, and they even connected us with resources for grants uh, to be able to start businesses in Vietnam. So regardless of what people think about the government um, and profit, I think, that's the only way that those programs exist, and they exist because they want businesses to profit. Yeah, and you're true on that side of it, but the other side of it is uh, politicians who rail against windfall profits and excess profits and um, you know, whatever excess profits is, poorly defined, mm-hmm. but the implication is always that profits are bad. Now, there are bodies of the government, such as the SBA, who do promote business. Sure. But in general— Maybe I'm tuned into a certain frequency, but most of the discussion I see from government is about businesses making too much, right? And yeah, I mean, I I, I think that most again that's a frequency, and I think that that is specific politicians. Uh, you also hear small businesses the backbone of America, right? So um, it depends on what you're right. listening to at the end of the day. And small business is the backbone of the the U.S., right? Like more people work for small businesses than corporations, and Right. Without small businesses, we wouldn't be able to be specialized in, in labor and, and all that stuff. So anyways, 
um, yeah, it can go either way, and that's politics at one level. But at the well, end of the day, the government needs to be making money, and they only make that off of profit. The last last thing that comes to mind about profit too is if you don't make money, extra money, you can't give it away. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't be philanthropic. Uh, there was actually a story on NPR, National Public Radio. A guy had done a study. I mean, a PhD had done a study. And there was an individual who was a real genius on Wall Street, and he made a lot of money, young guy. And he quit his job and went to Africa to promote well drilling and uh, good water s supply sources. And this guy had done a study, and he said, well, it would have been better if that guy had stayed on Wall Street and earned a bunch of money and funded a bunch of other people to go to Africa and drill the wells. And, but he didn't. And that's, that's the point that this Ph.D. discovered was that, hey, if you make money, you can give it away and do good things. If you don't make money, you have no power to do that other than maybe volunteering on your weekend. Another point that we haven't made yet is the, and we kind of have, but I think whenever you are making a profit, it's true validation. I think a lot of times whenever we're chasing sales and we get, we close the job, we see it as validation that we're a successful business owner, that we're operating well, things are on the right track. And yeah, it's good to keep the pipeline full and projects in the door, absolutely be validated by that. But your profit should be your number one validation that you're doing things right. Because if you're, see if you're seeing sales as the, the validation, what ends up happening is you may not be making a great profit and you feel all good about things, but what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for consequences later on that, oh, wow, I mean, I have to let go of so-and-so because we're not making a profit, or I have to increase prices, and that's really hard and stressful because I'm not making a profit. And so if you're really seeing your profit as the ultimate validation for your business, uh, it means that one, you have product market fit, that people value what you do, that you're, you have correct pricing, and that you can actually grow your business and do the philanthropy and invest in new employees and uh, give raises and bonuses and all that extra stuff, but see the profit as the validation in your business, not the sales. And another one for people, sometimes uh, they receive validation based on how many locations they have or how many trucks they've got on their cr or crews they've got running out there and how many employees they have, but really be seeking that validation and seeing success as how much profit you have at the end of the day uh, and let the other things right. be supplementary validation. You know, there, that bring, brings up another thing I wanted to talk about on uh, profit is I think we've established that if you don't make a profit, you can't remain in business. I mean, right. that, that goes pretty well understood. But it is the high calling to stay in business. And here's why. It's a mission to stay in business. is isn't for yourself. It's for other people. And here's why. Everybody's expense is somebody else's business. So if you have a business that sells $100 in a year and you spend $90 in expenses and make a $10 profit, that $90 you spend in expenses is income to your supplier. So he has $90 worth of income. 90% of that or 81 cents is expense. He makes a nine cent profit, which is 10% of nine. That process where everybody's income is somebody else's or everybody's expense is somebody else's income continues till it dampens out at about six to 10 times the original amount of profit. So in other words, 
me looking for my $10 profit have benefited other companies more than 10 times, as almost 10 times as much as I've benefited myself. You have to see that kind of written out, but that's the economic uh, multiplier yeah. that people talk about. So if you yeah. wipe out my business, you didn't just wipe out me and my employees. You took out whatever percentage of, of contribution you made to all those people downstream from you. And that's right. how economies go into recession and they begin to die off. So it's, it's a duty beyond yourself to stay in business. And to stay in business, you have to have a profit. And you have to have a profit not just so you can buy another Mercedes, but so you can fund receivables and growth and R&D and mistakes and inventory and all those things. So hmm. profit is a great and wonderful, necessary thing. It's a moral imperative. And yeah. I just wanted, that's really why I wanted to talk about today. There are some people out there who really think it's a bad thing. And they really think because it's hard to conceive how somebody can make a profit and both parties can benefit. Yeah. Uh, kind of in line with what you were just saying there of, uh, the you know economic multiplier i saw uh someone post something about they were golfing with a, a restaurant owner in a small town in vermont and uh the restaurant is right next to a, a movie theater and he said man that barbie movie that came out was the best thing that's happened in in 10 years <laughs> to our business and it's you know, it's just funny to think about that how you know, something that does draw attention and brings an audience and all that stuff. Yeah. Doesn't just support the movie theater, but it's all the businesses that are around the movie theater. Yeah. And um, there is an economic multiplier. Yeah, the studio's making millions and millions of dollars uh, in the box office, but it's also all the businesses that are around the movie theater that are, you know, su supporting that entertainment that business. That are benefiting. So, yeah. uh, really interesting. Well, we've, we've covered a lot about profit. I know some of these things we've mentioned in episodes in the past, but... Uh, it's good to kind of compile it into one episode on profit. Um, I think that something listeners can do, go subscribe on YouTube, share some of these clips, let us know what you want us to talk about on the next episodes, guests you want us to have. We really want to grow the show and uh, we need you to, to be able to do it well. So thank you for listening and for giving us your attention and ears. And uh, hope that you're having less stress, more time and more money in your business. Uh, more profit as well. Martin, go get a ice cold water or a iced coffee for your office. <laughs> I got the water, but it's hot too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it'll this this too shall pass. This too shall. It just pass. hasn't passed yet. I'm sure there's a, there's some HVAC guy out there ready to make a profit off of you. Oh no, it's it's ordered <laughs> and everything. It's just like supply chain. It's on the boat from China or something. Ah, gotcha. All right. Well, we'll so, see you, man. Okay. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.